Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity tonight to come together on a Monday evening to just enjoy some time fellowshipping together to uh, just have the chance to open up your word and to hear you speak to us. Uh, Father, this is just a powerful passage. So I pray that we all walk away uh, just with some new insights into these truths and some new ways that we can truly um, abide in Christ each and every day in our lives. So God, we pray for this time. Uh, We entrust it to you. And we ask that the Spirit moves in our hearts tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this past November, I took the plunge and became a first-time homeowner. And I quickly realized that there's a really big difference between being a homeowner and a home renter. When you're a renter, you get to call the owner and tell them all the problems and they come and fix it. When you are an owner, you get to fix all of the problems. So it has been a learning curve this last year as a first-time homeowner. Here are some of my top lessons that I can pass along to you that I have learned. First, uh, apparently I lived in California longer than I thought, and I forgot when you live somewhere where the temperature gets really cold and you go away on a trip, you're not supposed to turn your furnace off. So that would be a problematic. So don't, don't do that one. Uh, I also learned when it's really cold in the winter and you have a flat tire and you want to change it in your garage to make sure that you keep the door up and it's a flat surface so if your jack buckles, it doesn't dent your brand new garage door and roll back and like take out your garage door. I learned that lesson too. I also learned that a hundred year old pipes do not like Charmin two ply. So just so you know, if you buy an old house, be ready for that. I also learned that I needed to have Tony Marisi's number on speed dial because he's the only person that helps me fix all these things. So thank you, Tony. And then lastly, I learned that when you are buying things for your house, cheaper is not not always better. So when you first go to buy a house, there's a lot of things that you have to buy and try to figure out what you need and all these things. And at one day, I'm in Menards, and I have to buy all the stuff to take care of my yard. And I'm looking at the different options. I'm like, okay, what's the cheapest mower? What's the cheapest this? And it comes to getting a trimmer, and I think to myself, okay, this, this trimmer's really cheap. What's the catch? I look, it's an electric trimmer. I'm like, okay, it's, it's no big deal. Electric trimmer, that, that's great. You know, I can save 70 bucks and go green. It's even called Greenworks. Like, yeah, save the planet. This is awesome. So I get my electric trimmer. I think everything's great. And then I go home, and I realize I should have thought through that a little bit better. My yard is not super conducive to an electric trimmer. Those are the ones you have to have like an extension cord plugged into it. I realized my house only has plugs in the back of the house. The majority of my yard is in the front of the yard. I also have a three foot high metal fence around my yard and it doesn't do well with extension cords. They tend to get caught a little bit on it, right? And then as I'm trying to move around, going around the corner of my house, it pops out the extension. Like those things are really, really hard right? Electric trimmers. They're they're great, but the problem with it is if it's not directly plugged into the power source 24-7, you can't use it. It's not useful. It has no power on its own. And there was tons of things, like I said, my, uh, the corner of the house, whether that's my, my gate or my fence or all these other things that are constantly trying to unplug that thing to where at least five times, every time I mow my yard, I have to go and plug it back into the outlet and get it up and running again. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I telling you all of these things? Uh, First of all, so, you know, you don't buy an electric trimmer. But second of all, more importantly, I think it gives us a good picture of what Jesus is talking about tonight in John 15. 
where he's talking about as Christians, we are a lot like that electric trimmer. We constantly have to be plugged into the power source of Christ or we can't do anything on our own. And the problem is a lot of the, t- a lot of the times we don't think of ourselves that way. We think we have batteries. We just charge them up twice a month at church, charge them up once in a while by opening up our Bibles when life is stressful, charge them up by occasionally praying before a meal, and then we're good to go for a few months, and we can go on our own energy, and we're strong, and we don't really need to be abiding in Christ, but then something happens, and then, okay, I need to charge the battery up a little bit again. That, that's not how Scripture says our spiritual lives are. We have to be constantly connected to Christ, and that's what we see in our final I am statement tonight in John chapter 15. So let's open up our Bibles, and we're going to read the first six verses of that together tonight. Jesus starts off in verse 1, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that he does, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So right off the bat, he's giving us an analogy. He says, I'm a vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the vine. He's the one that nurtures it, that cuts, that prunes, that does these things. And he says, you, you are the branches. And Jesus is essentially saying in this passage, there's two types of branches. There's fruitful branches, and then there's dead fruitless branches. And the outcome of those two is very different. And that's what he unpacks in the rest of our verses. So let's jump back in. He says in verse 3, already Uh, You are clean, speaking to the disciples here, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You're powerless on your own. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So, in this passage, we see Jesus unpacking this metaphor of being the vine, we are the branches. And he says, if you want to be a fruitful branch, if you want to be a branch that's actually doing things for the kingdom, if you want to be a branch that's growing more and more to look like Christ every single day, here's the key of that you have to be abiding in Christ. So really the big idea of this passage, Jesus is saying true followers are fruitful followers. True followers are fruitful followers. Because the fruitless branch is what happens to them in the end. They're cut out, they're gathered together, and they're burned. Saying a true follower of me is going to be a fruitful follower. So that begs the question for us to ask, how do I become a fruitful follower? What do I have to do? How can I bear that fruit in my life? And the answer to that is very simple as we see in this passage. It's all about abiding. Jesus gives us that answer. He says very simply, you have to abide in me. And he says that here because he's saying the reality is on our own, we are powerless to bear any fruit. We can't transform our own hearts. We can't make ourselves look more like Christ. We need Christ and the Spirit to be doing that work in our hearts hearts. And Jesus gives us a strongly worded warning here. He says it twice. He says, on your own, you can't bear fruit. And on your own, you cannot do anything. You can do literally nothing. 
And what he means by that is in our spiritual lives, if we're trying to rest on our own strength, if we're trying to rest on our own power and our own determination, we might look great on the outside, but we're going to be what Jesus described the Pharisees as in in the Gospels. We're going to be whitewashed tombs. We look wonderful on the outside, but we're dead and broken and sinful on the inside because we don't have the power to clean up our lives. Only God does. And that brings us to the first thing I want to talk about, about how we tonight can be constantly connected to Christ. That's what we're going to talk about, how we can be constantly connected to Christ. And the first way that we need to do that is to admit our own inadequacy. That's where it starts. We have to admit our own inadequacy. And you know what? That's really hard. It's really hard to admit our inadequacy. It's really hard for us to admit, I can't do this on my own and I need help. From a very young age, we're trained to have this idea that if you're a make-your-own type of person, if you're pull yourself up by the bootstraps, I, 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 made, I made it big time on my own. That, that's the idea of what we strive after. Even from a young age, we see little kids have this mindset. I think of helping in children's church and when their parents, uh, parents come and pick up some of these little kids. And I hear it all the time. The little kids run over and say, Mom, Mom, Dad, look what I made. I made it all by myself. And I just want to say, liar! <laughs> I made that all by myself. <laughs> you did nothing, <laughs> right? But there's this... There's this <laughs> But that's how we are. Even from a little age, we think like, I want to do it on my own. I want to do it on uh, through my own strength, through my own power. And why is that? What drives us to be that way? It's pride. It is. It's pride. We're proud people. We have a desire to take uh, excitement in our own accomplishment and in our, our, our own things that we've done. That's what pride is all about. And Jesus is warning us and saying, you're going to have the temptation not just to be prideful in every other arena of your life, but especially in your spiritual life as well. We fall into this mindset of spiritual pride when we think, you know what, God's really going to be wowed if I can do this all on my own. Or God's really going to love me if I serve him in this way. Or I'm really going to win God's affection and God's praise if I do all of these things for him. And we start to put the pressure on ourselves and it's my effort, it's my achievement, it's my power, it's my determination that's going to propel me forward in my spiritual life. But that won't work. That won't work. We can't be a self-made man or a self-made woman in our spiritual lives because Jesus says it's impossible. Growth, godliness, maturity, those things only come through being connected to Christ, not by trying to rely on our own power, our own performance, and our own strength. Those will propel us nowhere. But somehow we wrongly fall into the mindset that God's somehow happy when we try to do it on our own instead of trusting in him. I know this is a silly illustration, but bear with me because I think it might make the point. We'll see. Let's say that uh, this Thanksgiving, my family, my extended family, uh, they kind of live out in the backwoods of southeastern Ohio. So they decide that they're going to go away for a trip this Thanksgiving up at a cabin out in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia. You know, no cell phone tower for sure. They don't even have dial-up yet. They, you know, they've never even learned what that... All that, that, they don't even have that. It's just like out in the middle of nowhere. And because of that, my dad says, you know, you're so dependent on your phone, you millennial and your GPS. I bought you an actual GPS so you can find your way here, so you can show up, so you're not late, so you can enjoy Thanksgiving with us. And he gives me a GPS for me and Megan to drive there safely, right? 
about halfway through the drive to look at Megan and say, I'm a guy and I hate this. I'm going to find it on our own. I roll down the window and chuck it out and say, we can do this by ourselves, right? Dad's going to be so proud of me for finding my own way, right? So then we're driving. It's West Virginia. It's kind of confusing. There's no roads are pointing all these other directions. It's mountains. We get lost, right? And we get lost for like 10 hours. And then we finally find ourselves that we finally get there and we show up. And I open up the car door and I say to my dad, aren't you so proud of me? I made it here all by myself. And dad says, why, why would I be proud of you? I'm so disappointed in you because that was so stupid, right? He says, I, I purchased a GPS for you so you could get here on time. Now the turkey's cold. Now the family's annoyed. Now your mom is crying, right? Like, oh, you've ruined things. Why did you do that, right? I'd be stupid not to use that and think dad's somehow going to be happy that I navigated myself there. It's kind of how it is with God sometimes. We think, God, aren't, dad, aren't you going to be happy? Look at all these things I tried to do by myself. And he says, man, I'm just disappointed because that's so stupid. I paid such a sacrifice in order to redeem you through my son. Jesus had to die for you. I, I, wanted, I gave you the tools to, to navigate this life right, and you threw them away because you thought you wanted to do it on your own. Stop trying to do it on yourself and abide in Christ. Like I said, I know that's a, a silly analogy, but I hope it, it helps drive home the point that there's no pride and there's no excitement and there's no praise in thinking that we need to do it by ourselves. The true mature Christian recognizes I can't do it apart from Christ. And they're not afraid to admit our own inadequacies. We can't try to grow our own fruit. It just doesn't work that way. Fruit only works when we're connected to the source of life. It's organic. We have to be connected to the vine as branches. We can't just staple on our own fruit, right? We can try to staple on our own fruit and, and hang our own fruit, but it's not going to be real. And it might impress everybody else, but you know who it doesn't impress? It doesn't impress God because he knows it's not, and it's not the genuine thing. I, I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd, and uh, in the first movie, there's this giant tree in the, in the little village that, uh, and to film this gigantic tree over in New Zealand, they actually moved this tree from another spot over there, but on the way it died. <laughs> so to make it look real, they wired on all of these fake leaves one by one, and they wired on thousands of leaves to make this tree look real. It looks impressive. It looks great. It's really cool that they did that. But you know what? It doesn't make the leaves real. It doesn't make the tree alive. The tree's still dead. I wonder how many people there are bearing the name of Christ that are still dead trees on the inside because they're trying to uh, sew up their lives with all their good works, their resume, and their achievements, thinking somehow that's going to earn God's affection and love for them. It's just not true. We have to admit our own inadequacy and turn to Christ as the solution. So it's not about performing or doing. The key to a truly Christ-centered, fruitful life is all about abiding. It's believing not that I can do great things for God on my own, but through me, through me, through Christ in me, that God can do extraordinary things. It's not me anymore, but the focus is on Christ and being used by him. And to do that, first, we have to admit our own inadequacy. But second, we need to realize that this idea of abiding in Christ, it's going to require us to fight. Abiding requires fighting. That's the second thing. Abiding in Christ, it requires a fight in our life. Look at verses 4 through 6 again. Let me read those. It says this, abide in me. 
as I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. Skipping down to verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me. Are you catching a theme of what the main word is in these verses? What is it? It's abide, right? And the reason he's emphasizing this is he's not saying that abiding is something that's natural or easy or automatic. It's a struggle and it's something you have to fight for. We have to be fighting to abide in Christ every single day in our lives. Just like my electric trimmer that, you know, can't really do my lawn very well because it it gets unplugged all the time. There's lots of things in our life trying to unplug us from Christ. Daily, we face an enemy who's hurling spiritual darts to try to get us to turn away from Christ. There's distractions in this culture. There's things and pressures that are constantly vying for our attention, telling us we don't have enough time to cultivate a relationship with Christ. There's our sinful flesh that's tempting us to turn away from Christ and back to our old lives. There's so many things that are trying to pull us away from from Christ in every single day, if we're going to draw near to him, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. And it's a battle that's important and a battle that's worth winning because the moment, the moment we stop abiding in Christ, the power source for our spiritual lives is gone. Our power source for joy is gone. For peace is gone. To grow deeper in our affection for God and for people, it's gone. Our power source to literally grow is gone and we will stay stagnant and we will deteriorate and our spiritual lives will wither and crumble. We have to stay abiding in Christ. Think of it this way. It's like a house that would be powered by solar panels, right? It's got solar panels on the roof and it harnesses the energy of the sun and that's what keeps the home running. But guess what happens to solar panels after a while? Dirt gets on them. Annoying birds poop all over them, right? Hailstorms and blizzards dent them to where they don't have the surface area they once did. And if you're not going up there and constantly cleaning them and fixing them and repairing them, they're not going to work at full capacity. And then the house is going to suffer. There's not going to be enough power for the air in the summer. The refrigerator is going to go bad and all your food dies. Like there's not enough. The house suffers because it doesn't have the power it needs to sustain everything. That's how it is in our spiritual lives. We've got kind of solar panels on our hearts, and and they're energized by receiving energy from the sun. Play on words, ha-ha, there you go. From the sun, which is Jesus, right? That sun, the son of God. We draw our energy from him, but there's all this stuff in our life that tries to gunk it up. Sin, temptation, distractions, and if we're not constantly cleaning those off, we're not going to have the energy in our spiritual lives that, that we need. So that brings us to an important question, how? How do we abide in Christ? What does it look like to be abiding in him and being nourished spiritually through our connection to Christ? Well, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but here's some things that we see in scripture that are very clear. First is this. We abide in Christ by being reminded of how loved we are by God through him. That's the first way that we abide in Christ. We remind ourselves the ultimate demonstration of Christ's love for us, that he was willing to take our place on the cross and die for our sins. And that's not our own achievement. It's not our own merit. It's not our own good works. There's nothing that we could do to earn God's love, but we are loved through Christ alone. And he loved us enough to die for us. That's one of the ways that we abide in Christ. 
Have you recognized when people in your life do something extravagant and sacrificial, it draws you closer to them and you want to be near them in your life and you want to deepen that relationship? Well, when we recognize what Christ has done for us, it draws us closer to him. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. But the second thing is this. We need to listen to God and then we need to speak back to him. We see that so clearly everywhere in God's word. We need to be intaking God's word on a regular basis and listening to him. It's through God's word that he sustains us, that he grows us. He gives us everything that we need in his word. But so many times we just don't listen. Because the way that we need to listen to God is we have to quiet the distractions. And how many of us ever do that? There are so many constant distractions. If you've got kids, you've got distractions. If you've got a cell phone, you've got distractions. There's so many things vying for our attention that pulls, pulls our attention off of Christ. And we have to silence those distractions and spend quality time with him each day. But then we have to talk back to him, praying, finding some ways to communicate what's going on in my life to Christ, asking for his help, asking for wisdom, asking for his insight. And not just once or twice a day, but throughout the day. If we have time to text our friends we have time to send up a quick text message prayer to god and ask for his help we we listen and we speak third surround yourself by like-minded branches find other branches that are trying to stay connected to the vine that are drawing close to christ one of the best ways to grow is to grow in community we can't do it alone So if you're not prioritizing a small group, if you're not in a life group, if you're not uh, a part of something that's discipleship-oriented in your life, you're missing out, and you desperately need that. And then last is this. You have to learn to trust the vine dresser in any and every circumstance. It's one of the ways that we can abide in Christ. We don't make our abiding determined on the situation and the circumstances of our lives. To where when difficult things come up, when trials come up, we don't abide anymore because we're upset or we think, where are you in this, God? And we pull back and detach and say, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to figure out the escape for this myself. I'm going to trust myself again. We have to trust in the hands of the vine dresser. And that brings us to our third point of the night. Going back to verse 2, we have to expect the pruning pliers of the Father. We have to expect to be pruned. That's what he says in verse 2. Listen to verse 2. It says this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. He talks about pruning here. The vine dresser, the father prunes the branches. What is pruning? Well, if you're from a farming society or background at all, you know that pruning is actually cutting pieces of the vine off and thinning it out and taking off the dead or the, the, the detrimental parts, thinning it out so that the branches that are left can really grow and flourish and bear more fruit that used to be there. Pruning is painful because it's cutting dead stuff away. It's cutting hurtful stuff off. Pruning doesn't feel good for a vine it doesn't, or for a branch, and it doesn't feel good for us when it happens either. Pruning is going to be painful. In our life, there's probably many moments when we've all experienced that pruning, whether that's maybe a job that we lost, or maybe it was a relationship that didn't work out. Maybe it was a dream that was shattered that didn't turn out the way that we had hoped and anticipated. Maybe it's a sickness that came up. Maybe it's, uh, there's so many things that we can experience that painful pruning, but we see in this passage, it has a purpose. We have to learn to trust the capable hands of the Father and know that he has our best interest at heart. He is helping us to bear more fruit. 
Who are the ones that the Father prunes? It says in there, it's the ones that bear no fruit, right? So the pruning's for branches that, that aren't, really, aren't really drawn, they're, they're dead, right? No, it says the ones that bear fruit, God's going to prune even more so that they bear even more fruit. And that's really important for us to recognize because sometimes we can fall into two different categories. We can fall into this, I've arrived mindset to where at some point in my life, I'm going to reach a certain level of my Christian walk and I've arrived and everything's just going to be cakewalk and great and retirement's going to be wonderful and it's going to be exactly how I planned it. And once I reach this certain level, everything's going to be great. I've arrived spiritually. No, God tells us we're never going to arrive spiritually this side of heaven. There's always more fruit to bear. There's always more ways that we can grow. There's always more sin that we can confront. There's always other things in our life that we can address. But second, we can fall into the lie of the, the when syndrome. We think when I, when I get married, then this temptation won't really be a thing anymore. When I'm obeying the Lord well in my life, then I'm going to be doing well physically and there's not going to be trials or difficulties. When I'm trying to serve the Lord with all my heart, then it's always going to be fun. It's always going to be exciting, go exactly how I go. It's always going to just have great fruit. It's going to be great. I'm going to see all these awesome things happen. We think when I reach a certain level, then trials and pruning needs to stop. But this passage makes it really clear. We're never at a point where we don't need pruning in our lives. We need to always expect it. There's never a, when I reach this, it's going to go away. It's always there. We need to always be expecting pruning. We need to understand why it's there sometimes. Sometimes it's God's discipline. Hebrews 13 tells us he disciplines the ones they love to bring us back. It might be to soften our hearts. Other times, it might be to chip away a distraction in our life that's taking up way too much of our time. God might take away a job that was a good job, but it was a job that was uh, an idol because it consumed all of our lives and we needed to find something else to, uh, to get us back to focusing on Christ. Sometimes the pruning can be to prepare us to comfort other people one day they're going through the same thing. I think of 2 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about the God of all comfort and the trials he's gone through so that he can comforts, comfort others. Regardless of the pruning, all of it is to get us to look more and more like Christ in our lives. And we need to learn to trust the hands of the vine dresser. And you know, at the very end here, as we close up with our last two minutes, I want us to look at verse six. I want us to look at verse six. We see our last idea, our last point, And it comes from understanding the consequences of not abiding in Christ. It says this in verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. An incentive to be constantly connected to Christ is we need to remember what happens to fruitless branches. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says the ultimate consequence of fruitless branches shows that you're not actually a real, a real follower of me. So one of the marks of discipleship, one of the marks of belonging to Christ is you're going to bear fruit. He says these branches that continue fruitless year after year after year after the Father is nourishing them, trying to do his best to get them to flourish and grow. He says there comes a time where he's going to cut them off. They're gathered together and, and, they're, and they're burned in the end. Remember the consequences of a fruitless life. It's a withered life here on this earth. It's not satisfying. It's not what we hope it to be. It's not what God wants it to be. It's not going to be fulfilling. But worst of all, it's a fatal future. That's ultimately what Jesus is talking about here. He says, at the end of that time, those branches are worthless and they just get 
thrown aside and, and burned. And that's not what God wants. God wants fruitful branches. He wants faithful followers. But the choice is ours. What do we want to abide in? Do we want to try to do it ourselves and trust in our own strength? Do we want to, do we want to abide in the world and in our culture? Do we want to abide in our sin and our addictions and our enslavement to all those things? Or do we want to abide in Christ? So that's really the question and the thing that I, I think God wants us to see from this passage tonight. Jesus is the true vine. We are all branches. The choice is up to us. Are we going to abide in the vine or not? So I want us to just, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And we're going to continue with just responding with the time of worship. So let's pray together. Father, we recognize that this is such an encouraging passage, but also uh, it's, it's a very real passage, a very difficult passage for us to see as well. Because to understand the beauty of this passage, we have to understand the inadequacies in our own life. God, I know that I am guilty of falling into a mindset that I want to earn your love. I want to earn your approval. I want to earn your, your praise. We fall into that mindset of thinking we have something to contribute and offer. But God, we recognize, no, it comes from trusting in Christ and saying, I'm not enough. I can't do enough. But I know I'm accepted if I put my faith and trust in him. So Father, we thank you so much that he loved us enough to take our place and die for our sins. And Father, I just pray that every single person in here tonight sees that as a branch, they need to be connected to Christ and help us to continually abide in Christ every moment of every day and get rid of the things in our life that are holding us back. We love you, Father. We're so grateful for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.